This is EM Pulse with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. My role is doctor. Welcome back to EM Pulse. Sarah, this is exciting because this is the first podcast in our four, yes, four-part series on <laughs> women in emergency medicine. Yeah, it's like we're really excited about this topic or something. <laughs> I think, wasn't it one of our first podcast ideas? Yep. And here we are 102 episodes later and we are finally doing it. Yeah, and this first episode is a patchwork of stories of women in emergency medicine. We asked you all to share your experiences that illustrate what it's like to be a woman in EM. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And so many of you responded. Some of you called in, and you will hear those voices. Others tweeted their stories, which we will read. And while we don't have excessive swearing in here, because of, let's just say, the raw emotions of the topic, there may be a word or two that you may not want your child to hear. As I listened, I was struck with the similar themes that so many live out. I kept saying, yes, yes, I feel this. (laughs) We share a lot of stories on Impulse, and we do this to illustrate how the science is impacting real people's lives. As we truly listen to others' experiences, we open ourselves to a richer world, a deeper personal perspective. I can't remember the last shift during which I was not called nurse. When I worked in a non-academic hospital, I received press gainy comments for patients that I had seen, treated, and discharged, saying they'd never been seen by a physician during their ED visit. When I enter the room with a male medical student or resident and ask the patient questions, the patient will direct their answers to the male student or resident. Of note, this phenomenon does not happen with female students and residents. When we have an all-female team in the quote-unquote doc box, EMS transport teams and family members will ask questions that clearly assume we're sitting at the nursing station and we are nurses. When I'm in the room with the patient and ask the tech to see the ECG they just performed on my patient, they tell me no because they need to give it to the attending physician, who, by the way, is me. When I refer a patient to the emergency department from our virtual telemedicine service to tell the emergency department staff they've been referred in by a nurse, When I am recognized as a physician, my title is often qualified as lady doctor, as if I can't possibly just be a doctor because I'm female. I certainly value the nurses I work alongside as part of our ED team, but it's also important that patients understand that my role in that team is doctor. At Kayani32, I've had great experiences and not too great. There are also many highlights. Sassy elderly woman who realized I was her doctor, smiled brightly, squeezed my hand, and said, smash the patriarchy, sister. And bittersweet moments. Sometimes all you can offer is a hug and shared understanding. I've offered and shared hugs with many women who, like I have before, are going through the heartbreak of miscarriage. As a woman full professor in emergency medicine, I never really noticed all the little microtransgressions when I was junior faculty. I just thought if I put my head down and worked real hard, pretty much everyone was treated equally and it was a merit-based system. I guess I should have known when accepting my first faculty position, and my then chair asked me how I was going to make a living. 
based on my niche of emerging infectious diseases. Those who know me now can probably laugh at that fact. When I became a senior faculty member and moved over to my new institution, I did notice a few conversations that really rubbed me the wrong way that I hadn't noticed before. When I was meeting with a more senior male leader, he asked me why I wanted to go to leadership since I have small kids. Of course, granted, other women have also asked me this same question. Another man, after I expressed interest in pursuing an MBA, told me I should try to stay out of the business of medicine as long as I could, as if somehow it was a bad thing, and women shouldn't aspire to careers in administration. I suppose the last straw was an older male I admired, who suggested if I wanted to pursue my interests, I should cut back on my clinical hours and find time to pursue those, which basically equates to working for free. Finally, when another senior person found out my husband didn't work and I had moved over to our new institution of our own accord, he said, oh, so you're supporting him as if this was a negative thing. Never mind, my husband had just had a major illness, which I didn't share because he is actually a stay-at-home dad and he's also a great one at it. And he supports me in so many ways that allow me to achieve many of the goals that I've set for myself. At Mary Jew Baluya, no one asked my husband, who is also a physician, how he plans to balance work and family. At KAT 04747, the audible deep sighs of relief I've gotten when caring for Black patients in the ED are some of the most special moments I experience in my career. I have so much to say on this topic. Being a young, short, black, queer, cisgender woman with a masculine of center gender presentation, I get all sorts of feedback. More often than not, people assuming I'm not a doctor and definitely not an attending. Been mistaken for a nurse, cafeteria worker while grabbing a snack at the calf, a construction worker on a day I was teaching and thus not in scrubs, and just generally not the attending while leading my team on shift in the ED. I've been told, both verbally and non-verbally by patients, that they don't want me as their physician. Alternatively, working with queer and or POCs and other minoritized folks as patients, colleagues, and learners have been some of my favorite moments. They get it, see me, and celebrate my presence. To them, I belong. I had um, a difficult time in residency as a female physician. My residency leadership was mostly male, with one female who was relatively pretty new. And at the beginning of my third year in residency, something happened with male residents from a different program, um, which included verbal abuse um, and, honestly, embarrassment for me. Uh, it was witnessed by many people in the emergency department, interns, um, and attending patients, nurses. And when I went up to my program director, he didn't really believe me at first that this had happened. Um, he and the person who abused me, um, his program director, both of them were very good friends and had known each other for quite a while. And I remember uh, going into a meeting with my program director who told me that I should play nice in the sandbox and not ruffle any feathers. And honestly, at that point, I knew that 
I had lost that I would never get any sort of meaningful resolution from this. I tried to go to the female assistant program director and to try to speak up for me, but was basically blocked in a meeting and told not to take this any further. I come from a pretty robust residency program where we have like a version of the feminine kind of group where we meet as females and talk about being an EM, and I think that's great to have. But when push came to shove and actions are needed, the department leadership uh, failed me. And even when I talked to the chair about it, who was also male, he did not seem too interested um, at all. So while I think it's great that we're making strides, I still feel like there is a long way to go. At Jarman AF, why were you so unprofessional? My offense, politely telling the ICU fellow that his team was welcome to call neurology, but that I did not have an acute question for them in a patient I had just innovated for acute respiratory failure. I am a fourth-year medical student um, applying currently this cycle to be an emergency medicine resident physician. Extremely excited to be here, so thank you for having me. I'm sure you're thinking, what does a med student know about being a woman in medicine? She's so, you know, young in her career, and I think, um, unfortunately, I experienced it really early on in my career, um, before I was even in medical school. I was an ER scribe working um, with a male attending, and, you know, he was very kind. I think he genuinely meant his advice to be helpful, but he said, you know, Sabrina, you need to get married, you know, pretty soon, definitely before you're an attending. Definitely get married no later than residency because once you're an attending physician, you know, your whole pool of dating, your whole pool of men is going to get much smaller because, you know, why do you think we're all married to nurses? Nobody wants a pissing contest with their wife. And like I said, I love this attending. He is a wonderful physician, and I genuinely think he was trying to help. But he basically told me that if I exceed a certain amount of success, and, you know, we often equate success and worth with men so common, um, that if I exceed a certain amount of success, if I exceed a certain amount of what my worth is in their eyes, then I am less capable of being loved. And I think that's such a disservice to tell someone to really settle for someone else's own comfort. I think as women, we are so accustomed to making ourselves smaller to fit in the spaces that others see fit for us. And I think that, it, like I said, it's just such a disservice to tell someone to do that. Um, I think, frankly, also, if my own strength scares you, that says something about you and it's a reflection of your own self-worth. And I think that's something that, should be explored a little bit more on the opposite end. I think women are wonderful. I think obviously we all know that being a woman, working with other women, but also in a field that is so traditionally a boys club, um, we deserve to be respected, valued, and celebrated. And it really begs the question of what a woman's worth is and having it no longer being dictated by what it is believed to be by a man. Um, we have a lot to bring to the table and, and, it's wonderful to see that more and more women are learning that we are much, much happier eating at the table alone than being in the presence of toxic company. And I think that that's great. Um, we deserve a seat at the table and, and we're happy to be there. And it's about time that people come and, you know, pull up the chair and sit with us and recognize our value of being there. At Julie T. Veith, 
constantly hearing, I never saw the doctor, especially these days with masks and eye protection, etc. At Dallas Holiday, same as others, I expect, a bit of a mixed bag. Often called nurse, asked for things like blankets, water, etc. that my male colleagues are not which I have absolutely no problem delivering, but I'm aware my gender is related to the request. So I showed up to my intern year 14 weeks pregnant, and I had a very supportive program. Everyone was very excited. I did have the interesting effect of as my belly grew bigger, more patients said, honey, dear, sweetie. And I introduced myself as doctor every time. I was told very clearly, you need to introduce yourself as doctor. No one will know you're a doctor. You're a woman. So I introduced myself as doctor. And as my belly grew bigger, thanks, sweetheart. Thanks, honey. I finished my pregnancy. And on my very last day, right before I delivered a baby, I was intubating a patient, had a contraction, briefly just touched my stomach, The attending, as soon as we stepped out of the room, looked at me and said, can you please go home? I went into labor that night. (laughs) So I had my baby, got, you know, six weeks of maternity leave, um, came back pretty quick. And one of the interesting things is figuring out how to take care of your baby, take care of your body, and take care of patients. It is such a weird feeling to know that you're talking to a patient and also feel the discomfort of, I need to go pump so that I can take care of my baby. It is... It's a feeling unlike others where you're taking care of patients, you're putting in orders, and in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, I have to pump it an hour. And it's such a mental load that is so hard to describe. My husband just has not understood what that load is. Um, A lot of my co-residents, their wives also had babies, and they were dealing with the lack of sleep. But the other part of it, the the feeding the baby, the being the, the mom is just different. It's different. I then... Got pregnant again my third year, and my second pregnancy was very rough. I was vomiting every day for the first 27 weeks of pregnancy. (laughs) It ended up being a joke running through our program because I would sit in the doc box, go see a patient, come back, puke in the doc box. The attendings were gracious and laughed with me because there's no other way to do it. But I knew that I was not going to call in. You can't call in for that. That's You can't. You're weak if you call in for that. Like, I did it to myself. Like, we wanted another kid. It's my fault. <laughs> like, you can't, I can't call in for that, even if I'm just currently vomiting. Finished a second pregnancy and got a 12-week maternity leave during my fellowship. I think the biggest thing that I find so interesting about being a woman is there's there's different components. There's the hard part, the part where a patient absolutely did not believe and will continue to tell the nurses that they have not seen a doctor over and over and over again, even if you go introduce yourself over and over and over again and say, I'm the doctor. There's the frustrating part. And then there's also the part where, for example, yesterday we had an all-woman team running the emergency department. We had two or three codes come in. One of the codes ended up being run on the the hallway floor in CT, run by all women, it was the calmest code. You get ROSC. It was so calm. And I truly believe it was because we had open communication. Women are more likely to communicate. Women are more likely to talk back and forth, to share ideas, to say, I think this patient coded because of this. I think we should try this. At least in my experience, it has been easier to have those conversations during stressful situations with my, you know, co-women, fellows, attendings. So there's 
there's parts that I wouldn't change for anything, and then there's parts that are just exhausting to deal with. <laughs> at Nikki Bins, love my job. Culture at my shop is very supportive and respectful to women. Love being a leader and mentor to future badass female physicians at UNCEM. Even if I introduce myself as doctor, I don't get called doctor. I get called nurse all the time, every shift, every day, by lots of patients. At Yadira R787. Like other colleagues' comments, I had similar encounters. Doctor never saw me. For being a woman, you know what you're doing. Who did you sleep with to get your title? Your job is to be beautiful. I'll do the medicine. This is Lisa Mills talking about being tortured by the twos. I've been told by them again that I was too loud, too bold, too confident, too aggressive, too assertive, too intimidating. And I was reeling in this dysphoria. I was wishing I could be like my colleague. She was so collaborative, so engaging, so reserved. And then I heard them talking about her. They said she's too quiet, too scared, too indecisive, too conservative. The line of acceptable behavior for women physicians is narrow. We are often tortured by the twos. At Red Sox MA. Being introduced to new colleagues by a colleague. This is Dr. Jones, Dr. Rodriguez, and Sage. Guess what gender Drs. Jones and Rodriguez present as? Me. Hello, I'm Dr. Myers. I'm the supervising doctor. I'll be Johnny's doctor today. Patient's parent. Say hello to the nurse, Johnny. Or alternatively, patient's parent into the phone. Gotta go, the nurse is here. I'm Vanessa Calderon, an emergency medicine doctor in California. Being a woman in emergency medicine is awesome, except for all of the times where nobody believes that you're the actual doctor. I don't know how many times people have confused me for the nurse or the tech, even when I walk in with my white coat and my name badge that says physician or MD. But all jokes aside, you know, those things do happen. But honestly, getting to care for humans when they're at their most vulnerable is a huge honor. And as a first-generation Latina female in emergency medicine, I have the added bonus of connecting with my Spanish-speaking patients on a much deeper level. In fact, I remember this story just recently where I caught a septic pelvic inflammatory disease on a 17-year-old Latina patient. And she had been so ashamed to have been sexually active and have developed an infection from it that she hadn't told anybody that she was having sex. She was being raised by her grandmother. And when I saw her, it was her second visit in the ER. Because in her first visit, even though she met all septic criteria, they discharged a home and didn't do a pelvic exam because they forgot to ask the grandmother to step out of the room. And she wouldn't admit that she was sexually active in front of her grandmother. So luckily, I did a pelvic exam, and I spoke to her about everything, and she shared so much with me and cried and told me, you know what it's like to be growing up in a house like ours where we're not supposed to be having sex and where we're sucias, we're dirty if we do. So yes, I love my profession. I'm so honored to get to do what I do every day, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. 
pulse check. When you're a patient, don't say, I haven't been seen by a doctor. Call a doctor a doctor. Women have the power to use their shared experiences to advocate and connect with patients. And women physicians are badasses. Yeah, we are. (laughs) I think it's important to recognize that these experiences come from medical students to senior attendings in leadership positions. Yeah, that was really interesting to see that broad spectrum. If these stories inspire you to share your own story, share it. Tell a colleague about your personal experience or tweet about it and tag at Impulse Podcast. Or ask a colleague about their own experience. We all become deeper, richer people by truly listening to others. Thank you to our department for providing a space to share experiences. And thank you to OM Audio Productions for producing the first EM podcast hosted by two women. And Julia, I have to tell you my favorite tweet. Okay, let's hear it. By at Move and Meet. Well, I've only been a woman for a little while now. I'll let you know how it goes. Yes, please do. Any prelim impressions? I miss having real pockets. (laughs) 